Film reviews and movie news with Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. It's film reviews and movie news with me, Stuart Pink, and he would walk 500 miles, but he won't walk 500 more. It's Mark Searby. Hello. But Hello. do you know what? I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> I know that's not a proclaimer song, but it felt, you know, it was a nice... It's like, it's same vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. What exactly, exactly is that, though? Well, wear I a pink I... leotard. <laughs> uh, well, I do that. Yeah. That's no problem. Uh, I have done that, so that's fine. Walk on broken glass. Um, um, yeah, I won't do that. No, it's yeah, fine. Is that, that what it's it is? Fine. That's yeah. what it is. Appear in Fight Club. Mm, <laughs> no, I won't do that. There we go. That's the answer. There found the line. <laughs> found the line. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks. I'm very good. Um, Obviously, you know, it's it's half term here um, and uh, all the kids are off and everything. So we've got. Yeah, I'm just quite glad to. I've only got homework to worry about. Um, (laughs) Not for a while, have you? Not for a while. No. Yeah, it's Um, great. So we've got kind of a a packed um, family friendly, children's friendly film fest of reviews this week. Yeah. Um, we've got three kids' films, and uh, if that's not enough, don't worry. We've got a horror film for the adults as well, which is bizarre. Uh, um, horror, horror film for the kids, maybe. Oh, maybe yeah, we'll exactly. Out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Look, some of these kids' films could be horror films. We don't know. So we should probably start with uh, the big kids' film that's in TV, uh, in TV, in cinemas this week. It's called Moonbound. Um, Moonbound. It is the story of a young boy named Pete who journeys together with a dune bug called Mr. Zoomziman and the Sandman to rescue his little sister from the evil Moon Man. Lots of lots of men. Right. This. I mean, did you get that? <laughs> did, did, I mean, did you? Yeah. I mean, that is quite the story synopsis, isn't it? I want to meet Mr. Zoomziman. Yeah. Name. Well, do you know, it's funny you say that because Mr. Zoomziman is kind of fun. Actually, we'll come to him in a moment. So so I think, you know, when when I read that synopsis, I'm like, what? What is going on? And it can be difficult to get your head around. <laughs> Um, the origins of Moonbound come from it being one of Germany's most popular children's books ever, basically. Ah. So it's now been adapted into this animated feature film. Uh, it is a German movie, but it's been dubbed into English as well, which is a help when you're trying to get to grips, not just with the story, but each of the characters. So, you know, um, Mr. Zoomziman, Pete, uh, the Sandman, Moonman, you know, all of these basically, and there's more as well. They all have their own entities and they're all slightly bizarre as well. Pete is obviously the focal point of the story. You know, he's this young boy, but I think he's superseded by Mr. Zoomziman, who is hilariously bumbling, slightly stupid as well. Um, <laughs> you also have the Sandman, who is basically a mad scientist hoping to get to the moon. Um, I mean, I was watching it, and just those two characters alone made it entertaining viewing. Then you have the evil moon man, who is this big oaf who just wants to hit people over the head, basically. You also, you know, you also have... The, there are other characters in here as well, and um, who sort of come in and out of it. There's one called Storm Giant, who flies through the air on a buffalo... And makes tornadoes appear by passing wind. <laughs> now you we all see, know someone like now that. Now you see, <laughs> you laughed at that. I laughed at it when it happened in the film as well. And, you know, I am a 40-something man. I am not above laughing Sometimes, very yeah, heartily at something like that. I really, yeah. you know, I make no apologies for the fact that I did laugh quite a bit at that. Yes. Um <laughs> 
So the point of the story is that you have these two children, uh, Pete um, and his little sister, who find it in themselves to confront these nasty characters and start to come of age thanks to their bravery. Now, yes, it's not Pixar. It's not Walt Disney Animation. Yeah, I kind of had a lot of fun with this film. It's got an eccentric bunch of characters who I thought more than made up for the generic animation. Um, I was kind of disappointed with the animation. All far too average, to be honest with you. Apart from... There is this quick prologue at the beginning to explain what happened to Mr. Zoomzyman. This story is all done in a very different 2D animation style. And I thought it looked fantastic. I really ah. liked it. I so the wish... prologue slightly different to the main Yeah, film. and I mm. wish they had done the whole film like that, to be honest with you. It, it looked really sharp and really stood out instead of, you know, going back to the same generic... 3D bubble type animation. You know, it's, it's, it's very boring. Toy Story. It's very Toy Story. And, you know, Toy Story is what? 30 years old now, something like that. You know, I mean, we've not moved oh my on. God, now they're old. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think it's even more than that, to be honest. Um, you got a boom you know, if you can do that kind of stuff. Sorry. Sorry. Do you know, the thing is, though, with Moonbound, all in all, I. I had a nice time with this film. I, I, it was quite a delight. I've got to be honest. It was much better than I was expecting because the poster doesn't sell it at all. The trailer's a bit not that great, you know, but it's the characters. It's the characters that really made it. I had a nice time watching this. I've got to be honest. Yeah, nice. Are you, are you heading Moonbound in celebration? <laughs> I'm not, no. I've got to be honest. The evil moon man really kind of put me off on that. <laughs> guarded by the evil moon man I indeed like yes yes like, this is in cinemas or? it is yes just in cinemas exclusively in cinemas Go cinema bound to watch it yes what have we got next uh so on netflix it's also in cinemas as well this one actually so vivo in cinemas oh. and on netflix now as well this is uh, the story of a capuchin monkey called Vivo who dreams of being on the stage with his owner, Andres, in their native Cuba. But when tragedy strikes and Vivo finds a love letter that Andres wrote to his one true love, he decides to set out to deliver the letter to her in Miami. Oh, mm. okay. What's yes. going on there? So it, it, this is... It's kind of a musical, kind of not as well. It's not being sold as a musical, but there's a lot of music, there's a lot of songs in it. And from that first song, you can hear the unmistakable warblings of Lin Manuel Miranda, you know, the man who gave the world Hamilton and In the Heights as well. Oh, um, uh, okay. Yes. So he's been involved with this project for over 10 years. He's finally now got it to bring it to the screen, courtesy of Sony Pictures, who then sold it to Netflix. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously there's been a few problems with that as well. Um, I say that this is a curious film because I was watching it. I was enjoying it. But then almost immediately afterwards, I'd kind of forgotten what the film was about. You know, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a road yeah. trip with Vivo and a little girl called Gabby. And it's it's entertaining. There's some little misadventures that they get up to that are fun. They do make for an entertaining pair. Yeah. I I found the film really struggles to know what it wants to be. You know, as I said, it's kind of a musical. It's kind of not. Is it a love's dying wish storyline? Is it a road trip movie? Is it a family coming together movie? The problem is, I think it's all of those and also none of those as well. That's part of the problem. It Also, it looks like 
um, Pixar's Luca, which you know we reviewed only what a month ago, I think. Yes, yeah, it yeah. also looks like um, uh, the film Coco as well, which Pixar did as well. So you know, it oh, seems God, yeah, like it does. It, the it really, exactly see, that's the thing. You're looking just at the yeah. poster and you're going, "It looks like Coco." When you watch it, you're like, "This is this is Coco, really." You know, the style of it. It yeah. seems to be borrowing from many different places with a bit too much obviousness about it. You know, I like the vivid colours in the film. But I thought they jumped off the screen and some of the animation is really good. But on the whole, I thought it looked very similar to about a thousand other films that Sony Animation have made. You know, there's nothing eye-catching about it, to be honest with you. Um, I think the songs are good. Don't get me wrong. You know, I can't for the life of me recall any of them, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> unlike, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, work in, in the Heights and Hamilton, you know, I, I can tell yeah. you some of those songs. Huge songs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these songs are good in the moment, but um, they, they just seem to disappear afterwards. It just, you know, it's a series. It's a series of songs. That's about it, really. Series of songs. So I think... For me, I'm going to chalk up Vivo to being one of Lin-Manuel Miranda's lesser pieces of work. You know, I'm sure everybody who's involved in this had really good intentions of trying to make this multicultural movie that has loads of laughs. It's got a few tears in it as well. But I didn't think it had got the staying power that it needs in order to rise above loads of other animations and loads of other musicals that we've seen that are very similar to this, even mm. in the past 12 months, let alone going beyond that as well. So, yeah. Mm. It's got a lot of competition in the same genre. Yes. Same storyline. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of the problem is that, as we said, you know, it looks like Coco, it looks like Luca. It sounds like all of these other films as well. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't stand out anywhere near as much as it should do. It's got Gloria Estefan in this. It's it has. A, a pretty decent cast. It has. She doesn't turn the beat around, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you so, see, you're the one so, who normally does yes. the puns. Whereas it's, uh, I'm bringing the puns to it. Well, only that You can one. have that one. Yeah. How, how long, roughly, did we spend on that? Was that a... Was that a no, it's five, the only five, song I know Gloria Estefan did, actually, oh. to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, awesome. So we've got uh, a few more films to do uh, as we get the DVD player out. When we come back, we'll be talking about The Virgin Mary and Peter Rabbit. Yeah, what an odd combination. But Which we will no be one talking about it. <laughs> it's the most bizarre <laughs> thing. But welcome to Movie Reviews on a Friday. With Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Film Reviews and Movie News. It's Phil Reviews and Movie News. Still with me is Mark Searby. We've got two DVDs to do. What have we got this week, Mark? Peter Rabbit's back. That, pe- that pesky rabbit. Hey, he's back again. He's back. He's back. Put that Peter... shotgun away. <laughs> Peter Rabbit 2 on DVD and Blu-ray. So this follows on from the first one. Now we have Thomas and B, who are married and living with Peter and his rabbit family. Uh, bored of life in the garden, Peter goes to the big city. There he meets some shady animals and ends up creating chaos for the whole family. Oh, mm. dun, dun, dun. Ooh, um, that does happen. It does happen, that. So the first Peter Rabbit film still haunts me in my dreams <laughs> to this day. Peter's <laughs> zombie-like dead eyes and his hideously awkward CGI walking it's and hopping. Pretty scary rabbit, really, isn't it? It's incredibly yeah. scary. Uh, the film itself <laughs> I found particularly terrible as well. We now have a sequel that improves on the original. It improves, hurrah, but Good. Not, not by Good. much. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this time we've got a story where obviously Peter Rabbit becomes friends with some shady characters and he plans a heist for dried fruit at the local farmer's market. <laughs> okay. A, a heist. Uh, yeah. A right. heist. Like an Ocean's Eleven type heist. Like where does that even come from? Who thinks that up? You know, do, yeah. I'm watching it, I'm thinking this is utter nonsense really. It's. I understand that the filmmakers want to put Peter into – the bigger world and see how the rest of the humans live but a heist a heist no. I, I don't i quite like the idea of that that sounds funny yeah, like the ocean's 11 style breakdown like but it's planning things Rabbit. on beatrix charts. potter never wrote a heist <laughs> no, no so um there is also a storyline involving b now signing to a proper book publisher to publish her rabbit books and then the book publishers turn out to be in it for the money only and not the art i mean who would have guessed oh that's and, a surprise yeah exactly and try to make peter the bad seed of the books i mean it's all nonsensical it's all mm. utterly ridiculous yeah. um th there's a moment in the film where the publishers put up a massive billboard in the city to promote the book and that billboard is spoken about about uh, about every 10 minutes in the film it's a billboard <laughs> it's not you know it's not the mcguffin of the film but yeah. every 10 minutes somebody mentions the billboard i just didn't get why it was mentioned so much i really didn't um but you know the people are gonna say well look i like the first one will i like the second is it as family friendly fun Yes, it's better than the first. It's not as chilling. I'll say that. You know, some of the other characters are entertaining. Um, it is better than the first. It's still not a positive in my book at all. Um, every single casting choice feels wrong in this film. I love Rose Byrne. I love Rose Byrne. She's brilliant. But she's badly miscast as being this. Uh, Donald Gleeson, the same as Thomas. I think the entire voice cast are all completely wrong for this film as well. Um, it's a shame because it's a stellar cast. It's a stellar cast, yeah. I, I just don't get who chose P uh, James Corden to do Peter Rabbit because it, it doesn't have that softness that is required. Smithy in the Peter Rabbit role. It, yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't have the energy either. It's really weird. It's all very uncomfortable and kind of grates on the ear, I thought, to be honest with you. So, look, I think the best thing I can say about this, about Peter Rabbit 2, is that I tolerated it better than the first. And if you were to torture me, I would be okay with watching peter rabbit 2 but if you were you know out of the two <laughs> please don't make me watch number one please don't make me watch number one so as i said i tolerated this one better than the first let's leave okay. it at that so if your kids have, haven't seen this first one but you feel like they're gonna pressure you to see one of them can you get away with number two without seeing no one? unfortunately oh, not no. because there's a lot of things that hark back to the first one as i said you know thomas and b are married so um okay yeah that's, yeah that's that's a sticky point yeah, yeah. and you, in the first one you are introduced to obviously all the other characters as well whereas in the second one they just turn up and you go uh who are these they're on the billboard though don't worry <laughs> they'll tell you they're on the billboard about every 10 minutes everybody's on the billboard yes yeah <laughs> so peter rabbit 2 the runaway uh maybe you suggest just stick with the last word and uh run away, run away. <laughs> yeah it's like that yes <laughs> And, uh, and for our last kids' film? <laughs> uh, not quite a kids' film, so we've gone full-blown horror here. Just one for the adults, I think. This is a film called The Unholy. It is about a hearing-impaired girl who is visited by the Virgin Mary and can suddenly hear, speak, and heal the sick. 
as people flock to witness a miracle's terrifying events unfold. Now, are they the work of the Virgin Mary or something more sinister? Now, obviously, possession in horror movies is nothing new. You know, I mean, The Exorcist obviously being the standout of the genre. Um, Mm. However, you can go back all the way to the silent era to see some brilliant films about possession. Um, You know, um, didn't need music and noise to possess people. You didn't need any of that. Exactly. That's the thing. Uh, The Unholy is basically a hodgepodge of all of those possession flicks that you've seen and enjoyed. But this one isn't that enjoyable in a sort of horror type way it just kind of exists um it, it just really does nothing of huge note and i think the main reason is that the film is torn between knowing what it wants to do and knowing what it wants to be that's the problem so there's a lot of talk about church versus state or church versus new media because a photographer called jerry fenn played by a very disheveled uh, jeffrey d morgan is photographing these miracles that the girl is doing and then they're causing worldwide sensation. So there is almost this narrative about how the church deals with being at the centre of a viral media stop and how do they combat it and is this a good thing for them and you know many other questions for basically a little church in, in middle America. Um, mm. And I like the idea of that in the film. I like that the film takes that route. It offers something a bit different than your standard possession flick. But I don't think the story does enough to really get into the weeds on it. It kind of it toys with going a bit deeper, then it pulls back in favour of something that we see in every single horror film that's about possession. Scary moments. That's it. Okay. You know, so basically yeah, yeah. the film reverts to type and we get he- every horror cliche in the book. As I said earlier, you know, it's, it's it's all ripped from horror films that you've seen before. It's all been done better as well. Every time the film flips to this horror, it's very generic. It's very cliched. It, it just really frustrated me. I think that's the problem. You know, it, mm. it felt like the filmmakers had thrown the final third of the movie into the horror cliche school just so they can say, listen, it's a horror film. It's a full blown horror film. Because now everything that we set it up for, which was church versus state and all of these interesting ideas, we've got rid of because we want to have somebody walking on the ceiling or their head turning round or, you know, all of those things. Um, downstairs backwards. Yeah. You know, yeah. All, of, all of the things that we've seen a million times before. I think that's the problem. But I think if they made a movie examining possession and its relationship with the church... And then also its relationship with new media, which is what the early parts of the film are all about. Um, it would have been equally as scary as to what it uncovers from the mindset of the church. Instead, it lets itself down by turning into a generic possession horror flick that we've seen before. So they got possessed by the, the possession horror writers. And they just went down that road. Yeah, so yeah. you know, it's it's just so frustrating when you see something, you think they've got something here. This is interesting. I'm going to see where they take it. And then they take it nowhere and they just revert back to standard tropes, which we've seen many times before and done better. You know, look, The Exorcist, um, also Possession, um, starring Sam Neill is an incredible um, piece of work as well. You know, it's been done so many times. This one just feels, the, the final third just feels hideously dated. That's the problem. Mm. Okay. Never mind.
You got one more film for us, Mark? Yeah, so something that's been re-released on Blu-ray this week, and I thought we should talk about it. It's a film called Blowout. Um, it's about that time I went to the buffet. It, <laughs> it's not, but you know what? This is something that um, you might like, actually. It's the yeah. story of a movie sound recordist who accidentally records evidence that proves a car accident was actually a murder and consequently finds himself in danger. So I thought Ooh. you might find this interesting based on the fact that obviously you're working with sound and you're know, doing editing and things like that. Um, yeah. So I thought you might oh, find this interesting. The trouble because, you, you can know, get into. See, that's the thing. That's the thing. What can they do? What can <laughs> they edit? Um, and, you know, films about sound recorders are few and far between, but it seems when they are made, I think they're really good. You've got to think about The Conversation starring Gene Hackman or Barbarian Sound Studio starring Toby Jones. Great, very dark films about studio recording engineers. Um, Blowout was released between those two films and remains a film that... I think many will not have seen, even though it stars John Travolta. And to be perfectly honest, I think this is one of his best performances ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I had not seen this in oh, many years, so I couldn't remember a single thing. His mm. character, Jack, is kind of thrown into this abnormal situation. And he continues to get caught up in the aftermath and a bunch of conspiracy theories and you know so on and so on. And Jack is a curious guy. He loves his work, but he seems not to like to be around people. He would prefer to be with his recording equipment, listening to people that way. But then he's thrust into this suicide, or was it? Um, and he's got it all caught on tape. Now, what plays out after that is a man very much on the edge. You know, this is a man who thinks he's got the answer, only to be told by the police that he's completely wrong and you need to stay out of the investigation, nothing to do with you. Um, you know, at the same time, he's trying to look after and slightly romance the woman he pulled from the sinking car. This, in turn, puts them both in danger. And interestingly, you know, I'm saying that this is Travolta's best role, Um it's not so much that he wrestles with the character, but rather takes it as Jack is seen. So Jack is an introvert who is forced to become an extrovert. And I think John Travolta plays it with so much stamina that you think this guy is never going to sleep and ultimately <laughs> kill himself because nobody is believing him. It becomes really frustrating to watch when he's got all of this audio and nobody believes him. He's like, oh, no, come on. He's There's got the evidence. The That's the yeah. evidence, you know. Okay. I think... Um, I think what helped John Travolta get into this uh, performance is having a director like Brian De Palma, you know, make this film because De Palma likes to push his actors. And this is no different. And that's why I say it's one of Travolta's best performances ever, because he's out of his comfort zone, really out of it here. This is not Greece. It is not Greece. There's no jive talking here either. There's no <laughs> staying alive. There's no um, dealing with talking babies either. There's also no Mia Wallace or anything else like that. This about is, the same time this came out. Yeah, this is very different. You know, he's being pushed as an actor here and it shows how much of a capable actor he is when he takes on a role that I think ordinarily he would not be right for but is being pushed by a director who realises this guy has got something in him that we haven't seen before. So I think we have a film here that is a deeply psychological drama that has kind of like this almost cat and mouse thriller running through it with a brilliant central performance by an actor who is not normally known for something like this. Excellent. 
John Travolta in a whole new light. Yes, it is. It completely is. Um, as I said, I did not recall this film at all. I was kind of thinking, I wonder how well this has aged. Um, it's aged brilliantly. Nice. And what have we got to look forward to next week, Mark? So next week, we've got a Cold War spy movie starring Benedict Cumberbatch called The Courier. So, oh. yeah, he's back. Um, and then we've got a foreign language film called New Order, which is uh, whew, it's quite the tough film, I'll be honest. I saw it last year and uh, it took me a few days to get over it. And then on Apple TV, we've got a film called Coda, which uh, is taking uh, some of the film festivals by storm. It's finally on Apple TV, so we're going to review that. And then on DVD, we're going to be talking about First Cow, which was another movie that actually took loads of film festivals by storm last year. It's only finally getting a UK release here. Oh, people will be herding to it. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, dear. Oh, Oh, it's a moo point. Sounds like a good movie. (laughs) What we got to watch on the telly box this weekend, Bob? So I've picked out uh, a documentary, actually, this week. I've picked out a documentary, Grace Jones, Bloodlight and Bammy. And this is on BBC Uh Two, 11.30pm. It's all about Grace Jones, basically. Um, You know, That's a surprise. Yeah, exactly. But it's not your usual biopic. (laughs) It's not, you know, she did this, she did that, she did the other and whatever else. It's basically kind of a snapshot of a few years of her life interspersed with live performances of Grace Jones doing her biggest hits. And... What we get with this documentary is we get the wild side of Grace Jones, the you know the side that we all know, where she's absolutely crazy and you know makes and is scared and everybody's scared of her and whatever else. But we get the personal side of her as well. Um, we find out all about her mom. We find out all about her relationship to Mass P, who was like this kind of father figure to her as well. Um, there's a lot of tragedy in her life as well. Um, and you know, there's, there's bits in there as well that you just, it, it brought a lot to, to the forefront that I didn't know about Grace Jones and I'm a huge Grace Jones fan. I really am. Um, I will say there's a lot of old footage in there. It's quite raw. It's quite low quality at times, but I think that added to the magic of it as well. Um, and I like the fact that there's a moment in the film where she gets really annoyed when she's making a new album because Sly and Robbie, who are a music producers, are ignoring her calls basically. Um, oh yeah oh, nobody uh, ignores grace jones no exactly so i <laughs> i found this documentary really insightful i found a lot more about grace jones in this documentary than i did when reading her autobiography to be honest with you and the one thing that came across from this documentary is she's really happy yeah yeah nice yeah um so i i really like this documentary so it's saturday night eleven thirty p.m on bbc2 awesome and afterwards, you will be a slave to the rhythm. <laughs> I love that song. Uh, brilliant stuff. Mark, thank you very much. We shall reconvene for the same all next week. We will do. I'll speak to you then. Film reviews and movie news with Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Thanks for listening to Film Reviews and Movie News. We've been doing this podcast for years now. We've watched hundreds of films and some of them were actually quite good. For even more reviews or to get next week's Film Reviews and Movie News delivered directly to your device, pop along to stuartpink.com forward slash reviews. With Stuart Pink and Mark Searby. Film Reviews and movie news.